Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. I'm not Pastor John, but he is here with us. Let me just go ahead and introduce you to the panel tonight. So to my right, we have the lovely Pastor Erica Butcher, who is the youth pastor here at the Building Christian Fellowship. We have our teaching pastor, Pastor Donald Johnson. And next to him, we have this beautiful wife, Pastor Raquel, who is the head intercessor here at the Building Christian Fellowship. But before we jump into these juicy questions tonight, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We acknowledge your presence here in this place, Lord. Father, we honor you, Lord. You are the guest of honor in this house, Lord God. And we pray that you're glorified in everything that's said and done in this place. We thank you for those who have tuned in, Lord God, whether they're in the room or whether they're uh, virtually connected to us, Lord God. But I thank you, Lord, more for uh, us engaging our hearts tonight to what it is that you have to say, Lord. I thank you that uh, we are good ground, open eyes, ears, hearts, Lord God, that, that we would receive the engrafted word of God that is able to save our souls, Lord. We thank you for wisdom being released in the house tonight. We thank you for understanding, following in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We bless you for these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. So again, welcome. If you're just tuning in, if you're just walking in the room, this is Rightly Dividing the Word. Specifically, it's Ask the Elders tonight. So let's go ahead and jump in to our questions tonight. So, uh, Pastor Raquel, this question number one is for you. It says, why is it difficult for adults to find new friends? What advice or tips would you give to someone trying to build new, new friendships or relationships? That's a really, really great question. Yeah. Very good. Um, I think, just, off, just, just thinking about uh, why it would be hard, I think it's because the older we get, the more we don't like to waste time. And... Um, and the older we get, the more we realize we don't have time for foolishness. So I think maybe that's why that it, it's hard or difficult. Um, and then also depending on our past experiences, it might be because of the fear of being disappointed. You know, the longer you live, the more you realize um, that relationships, uh, they do, they take a lot of work. They take time. And um, one of the things that I've learned about relationships is you, I can't control another person's behavior. You know, you may grow up with somebody uh, in, in, in school, in your childhood, you know, school, but that doesn't mean that necessarily you will be friends when you get older. You know, you, two people can part and go two different paths, and that's okay, totally okay. Um, here's, here's, here's some practical things. Um, ask the Lord for friends. I would say ask the Lord for friends. Pray for friendships. Pray that, um, you know, God, I'm, you know, pr prepare my heart for friends. Um, God, uh, you know, give me lifelong friendships, friendships that are mature, friendships that don't have a lot of drama, friendships that where we're both going in the same direction. You know, give me the wisdom to choose the right type of friends. I don't, just because someone's friendly to me doesn't mean that they get the place, you know, in my heart, just because they're friendly and they're, they're charismatic doesn't mean that we can, we can just, you know, hang out all the time. Um, I would say, uh, I would say show yourself friendly and make room in your life to get to know people. Um, make getting to know uh, someone interesting. So 
uh, you know, if you're an introvert, you're gonna t- it's going to take a lot of planning. And what I mean by that is maybe schedule some, you know, coffee time together. Maybe, you know, if you're not too sure, you know, about the person, coffee time is a good way to ease into it. And then if you pass that, then maybe lunch. Then if they pass that, maybe dinner. Just kidding. But, you know, there's, I think that it's important to uh, guard our heart. Uh, Proverbs 4.23, I think, says, uh, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows the issues of life. And um, the reason why that's important is because Proverbs 13.20 says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the ways of the wicked lead them astray. Uh, I used to hear growing up, birds of a feather flock together. So, you know, it's important we're careful of who we're choosing to, uh, to do life with. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many com- uh, companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 13.20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. This is something that we teach our children a lot. Be careful who you call a friend. You know, you will be influenced. That's just who we are. One of the things I tell my kids is like, hey, if you're not strong enough to be the influence of the relationship, then maybe you need to take a step back. That's just the truth. You know, we're meant to lead. You're meant to live with purpose. So friendships and relationships are really important and valuable. I think one other thing to add is, um, you know, it's easier to make friends when you are in communion with people. For example, if you're in proximity with people, for example, in this church, we, we focus on building real relevance, re- relevant relationships, not only with Christ, but with each other. And so one of the ways as for me personally, I'm a, I was, I'm a young mom, I'm a young wife, so I was trying to find people to relate to was really difficult. Um, and then we started a ministry here called Building Moms and got involved with Building Moms and now I got a bunch of mom friends. You know what I mean? Um, because we relate on different levels. And um, so what I would say is, you know, start serving, get involved, um, you know, start coming to events and actually talking to people. So good. Yeah, yeah if I can chime in, if I could chime in real quick. Uh, and, and I'm speaking this from a personal perspective because for me, um, have making friends was was kind of difficult for me and I, and I think it was just more so just me not so much other people because there were other people that were showing themselves friendly and and wanting to to build a relationship or a friendship but for me because I was kind of guarded and closed off you have to also take in consideration maybe it's hard for you to 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 develop these friendships because maybe you're you're guarded and um I think for me one of the things is is like you know Pastor Raquel was sharing is like, you know, it, there's a lot of work. There's you, you get to choose your friends, right? You don't get to choose the family that you're in. You get to choose your friends. And so um, a lot of times it's hard for people to make a decision. It's hard for people, you know, to choose. And uh, sometimes rather than choose, they rather just not choose. <laughs> and, and so um, that might be something that might be hindering you from, from creating real relevant relationships and good friendships, but also... Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, the, the saying that goes that a lot of people miss out on uh, opportunities because they're dressed like, like work, basically. And, and the thing is that friendships, I, I would have missed out on a lot of friendships because I looked at it like, man, there's going to be a lot of effort I got to put into this. But you know what? 
I'm, I'm serious. I'm just just being honest. There's I I gotta I gotta you know get past myself when I don't feel like it and be around them and be social and be open when I don't feel like it. But you know what? In the end, I've been able to reap some great rewards because I got past that and I got beyond myself, got outside of my head. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times we're, we're, we isolate ourselves. We can isolate ourselves and we think that the problem is with everybody else. No, the problem a lot of times is with us. Um, we live our life through, you know, uh, through uh, first person. So we don't see our, a lot of our blind spots. We don't see, you know, these things, these areas that we, you know, uh, that other people are there that are desiring to come along us and help make us better. So... That's just something for you to consider in the fact of, of the journey of trying to build friendships. And, you know, thank you to all my friends that are out there. <laughs> Answers and awesome questions. By the way, we don't come up with these questions on our own. Every month, uh, about a week, week and a half leading up to Ask the Elders, we flood social media with uh, adverts of, hey, and inviting you to come and ask a question, any question that you have that the leadership and the eldership of the church would be more than happy to study and help you answer. And, and sometimes we, it's, it's questions that we've had, too, that we it causes us to study and to research the word, search the scriptures and pray and seek the Lord to get an answer. So I just want to let you know, we're not up here creating staging stuff up here, okay? These are legit questions. So that moves us to our next one. Pastor Donald, this next question is from a, is what has been submitted and it says, once we're saved, we're always saved, right? I like that, right? Right. Yeah, uh, that's pretty. That's pretty. A pretty good question. That's a question that has come up. Um, you know, I've I've been in church pretty much my whole life, and that's always been kind of like a big uh, topic of discussion um, from from new believers on to you know seasoned elder believers. Um, there's there's always been this thing going back and forth. Uh, am I elected or am I not? You know, am I predestined? And, you know, it's like all the all these different things that come about from this question about once we're saved, we're always saved, or is that you can lose your salvation? Um, it's funny because uh, this is something that you know I myself have 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 wondered and I've asked and you know kind of prayed about myself, and so. I kind of think that if you're even asking the question, I think you're in a good place. You know what I mean? Because that means you obviously are concerned about your walk and your relationship with Christ. Okay? Um, if you were just like, I'm saved, and you know what I'm saying? I got my ticket, and you're running around, you know what I'm saying? Like, think about this. Uh, I don't know if many of you guys seen uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but all them kids had a ticket. <laughs> but we only know that only one was, was, was worthy at the end. And and that was because he cherished what it was that he had. You know what I'm saying? So I, I kind of, that just, that Holy Spirit just dropped that one on me right there. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Charlie. But uh, anyhow, um, let me just share this with you. This is a thought that I got from uh, one of my favorites, Spurgeon. You hear me talk about him a lot. But he said, he says, you know, I, I do, I have a case of Spurgeonitis. So uh, he said this, he said, if he had meant to cast you away, he would have wanted reasons for rejecting you. He had reasons from all eternity, for he knew what you would be. No sin in you has been a surprise to him. If believers are lost, God loses more than they do. 
for he loses his honor, he loses his character of truthfulness, and the glory of his name is tarnished. That's pretty heavy saying like when we, when we look at scriptures and we see that Jesus talks, even in his prayer in John 17, he talks about how, Father, I've not, I've, I've not lost any that you've given to me. I've not lost not one of them. Like, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, you're like some slippery fish that's in his hand and like he's like, oh, 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 there it went. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that. That's not what your salvation is like. You know what I'm saying? Your salvation is in his hand. Like, it, because of the work on the cross, you have been saved, Right. And because of the work after the cross that he has given you to do, you are being saved. You're being, you've been justified, you've been sanctified, and you're being sanctified, um, and, and it's a process. So, like I said, if you're even asking the question, it's a, it's a great question to be asking because it shows that you have concern about your relationship with him. But my, my uh, advice to you is to continue to abide in him so that he can abide in you. Um, John chapter 15, verse 16, he tells us plainly, like, look, yeah, you may have come up to the altar and made a decision to, to, to follow and serve, but you didn't cho choose me. I chose you. Okay? So, so God chose you. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us that for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So it's, it's by his grace that we've been saved. But check this out. You may be, this, this question may be coming from a place of, well, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's such and such who, who, who said the prayer and they believe in Jesus, right? Because we, we, we know that Scripture tells us that those who believe in the name of Jesus, who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, the Lord Jesus was died and raised from the dead, that they will be saved, right? But we can't confuse a simple believing with salvation, Okay, check this out. No man has a right to believe that Christ peculiarly and, spe and specially died for him until he has an evidence of it in casting himself upon Christ and trusting in Jesus and bringing forth suitable works to evidence the reality of his faith. The faith that saves is not a historical faith, not a faith that simply believes a creed and certain facts. I have no doubt Devils are very orthodox. I do not know which church they belong to, though there are some in all churches. There was one in Christ's church when he was here on earth, for he said, one of you is filled with the devil. And there are some in all churches. Devils believe all the facts of Revelation. I do not believe they have a doubt. They have suffered too much from the hand of God to doubt his existence. They have felt too much of the terror of his wrath to doubt the righteousness of his government. They are stern believers, but they are not saved. And such a faith, if it be in us, will not, cannot save us, but will remain to all intents and purposes a dead and inoperative faith. It is a faith which produces works which saves us. The works do not save us, but a faith which does not produce works is a faith that will only deceive and cannot lead us into heaven. So what I'm saying is, is that though we're saved by grace through faith, believing alone is not enough. So if you want to know whether you're saved and always saved, that you need to make sure that you put some works with your faith because faith without works is dead. Amen. Woo, man, you talk about a truth bomb. If you just tuned in or walked into the room, the truth bomb that was just dropped on you was courtesy of Pastor 
And uh, it was a question that was said, once saved, always saved. You know, you can always hit us up on YouTube or on any social media platform, follow us, and rewind it back so you can start from the beginning and catch that. So, man, that was powerful. So let's move right along. Let's keep it rolling. Oh, was there something you wanted to say? Okay, so let's go on to our next question that was submitted. Pastor Erica, this question is for you. So how can I lead my unsaved friends to Jesus without getting sucked back into my old life? Great question. That is a great question. It's, um, it sounds like an Elevate question. It sounds like something we talk about at Elevate often. If you don't know, Elevate is every Thursday night, seven o'clock. Uh, for my seventh through 12th graders, um, we meet here every Thursday. Um, <laughs> but how can I lead my unsaved friends to Jesus without getting sucked back into my old life? Um, Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So with that, I would say um, Pastor Raquel uh, quoted a really great scripture in Proverbs about um, the wise leading the wise, uh, gaining wisdom from those that have wisdom um, instead of leading or following a lifestyle where you're just like, okay, well, I'll be the wise one amongst all of these people who, you know, are doing whatever they want to do or whatever the world tells them to do. Um, So are you being the influencer? Are you being the one that's being influenced? That would be my follow-up question to you. Um, We know salt to be used to enhance flavor, the flavor of food, right? So um, that's like for seasoning and things like that for those that cook. Um, Followers of Christ should stand out as those that enhance the flavor of, of life in this world. Christians living under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to Christ should influence the world in a positive way. So I would ask you, how are you influencing your friends in a positive way? This leads to a little bit of self-reflection. Really think about what it is that you're doing and how your your friendships are, are, are are impacting you and not only impacting you, but how are you truly impacting other people? Um... Is it just in your head or you're just like, oh, I'm being this good person and I'm influencing them, you know, on surface. But are you truly influencing them? Is there evidence of that influence? Are there fruit being, you know, coming off the tree or are you just wasting your time? That's good. Great answer. Great question. Uh, Do any any pastors want to chime in on that? Um, Yeah, I'll say everything Erica said was bomb, was so good. Um, Fire. Uh, I, I, one of the things that I was thinking about um, with this question was keeping purpose before you because it's so easy to, to, to become like the people that you are around. Even me as an adult, if I start hanging around, I'm around my sisters, um, I'll start sounding like, you know, the one that I've been around. We just pick up from one another. So it's really important that we are connecting to people of purpose so we are purposeful. Because the world isn't going to stop being the world. And we're told to not conform to the world. So like Erica said, you know, being the salt of the world and light, that's what we're called to do. That's purpose. So uh, I would say keep God's word before you. Become a student 
of the word. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful and staying connected to the church and building relationships that keep you on track. Be a disciple. Amen. Yeah, and, and with the, to go on with, the, with, with what Erica was saying about being salt, because not only is it, is it for the purposes of flavor, but it also is to cure and preserve. So you know what I'm saying? Um, even when you think of it a, as a taste, it, it, it causes you to, to thirst, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, think about it. We, we as the, the, the body of Christ, we have the living water. We're supposed to be making people thirsty out there. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, it's not the thirst trap, but we're supposed to make people thirsty. And so, uh, 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 not only that, thinking about, think about all the people that are out there that are wounded. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we're, we go and sprinkle. Yeah, it's going to hurt maybe initially in the, in, in the initial engagement, but ultimately, the hope is that they would be healed and be restored, that their health would be restored. And so, that's why it's important for us to do that. So, yeah. Wow. That was great, great word for uh, that answer. Um, since we're on you, the next question. How do we evangelize to someone that outspokenly doesn't believe in God? Hmm. We don't. No. Um. <laughs> uh, how do we evangelize to someone that outspokenly doesn't believe in God? Um, I believe that, was it, today's the 30th, right? So day after tomorrow, there's actually a celebration for those individuals, and it's called April Fool's Day. Right, because Psalms fourteen one tells us the fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. So, um, ultimately, my answer to that is is scripture. Like, I mean, it, it, a fool is going to say that like there is no God. There's no like no point in convicting. Like God, God is is the one who's going to draw you know, all men unto him. As long as you lifting him up, men are going to be drawn to him. And so it's like, you know, there's some that are just set in their ways. Like they love darkness rather than light. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how much you shine your light or how salty you are. Like they don't want the drink. They don't want the light. They, they love darkness. So, you know, it, it, it's basically a waste of time. Um, it, it's plain. It says that they're a fool if they, if they declare that there is no God. They declare that there is no God. They're a fool. And so Proverbs 26, 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Like there's a saying that to, to, to give truth to him who loves it not is only to arm him with more stuff to misinterpret. Wow. And so like there's no point in you wasting your time. Like that, that, that goes to Matthew chapter 10, 14, where it says, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart, from that house or city, shake off, shake off the dust from your feet and go on, go on your way. Like, that, there's no sense in you uh, beating a dead horse with them. Like, you're, you're, you're not trying to beg them to join. You're not a recruiter, right? You're not a recruiter. Um, Jesus doesn't need lawyers. He needs witnesses, okay? Just be a witness. You know what I'm saying? Can you just, can you just go about and testify of the goodness of, of God? You know what I'm saying? Can you be, can you be his, 
Can you be his, his billboard, basically a billboard of his goodness everywhere you go? We talked, those of you guys that were here Sunday, we talked about we're his workmanship. He created good work for us to do a long time ago, and that workmanship is, is a poem. It's a song. He's written a song in each and every one of us, and it's to be released out into the world as a sound of, it's to fill the world with the sound of his glory. All right, so we're not, we're not over there, you know, Keith Sweat begging somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to be more like, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if Kurt Frank was off the hot seat yet, but we, we out there like, you know, stomping all over the place. You know, all people, no. But no, we're out there like declaring the goodness of God. You know what I mean? That's what it is. We ain't begging nobody to come to the cross. We do want to compel them, however, okay? So... Um, that's basically kind of what... I just wanted to say the question, just to make sure the question says, how do you evangelize to someone that outspokenly doesn't believe in God? It's not saying somebody who doesn't know God. It's, there's a difference. Somebody who outspokenly says that they don't believe in God, there's a difference. It's a big difference. So I just wanted to just share that. Yeah. Definitely, man. Okay, so like just a moment of transparency here is like the more I hear Pastor Donald talk, the more I wonder why... Am I here? Uh, really. But no, just seriously, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the wall of wisdom that is up here with all of these individuals, the elders that we have that are answering questions monthly. Again, if you're just tuning in, if you're just walked into the room, this is Ask the Elders for Rightly Dividing the Word. We are on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Follow us. Run it back. Watch it again. And we ain't up here because we got all the answers. I that, know. That, it was let, a let's just, it was let's totally just throw that joke. out there. We ain't up here because we got all the answers. But we definitely believe, like, the whole reason why we're doing this is because people really have questions. They really want to know. And so we believe that as the church, you know, especially as leaders in the church, it's our job and our duty to make sure that we help equip the saints to live in, in the knowledge of, of who Christ is. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, next question is for Pastor Raquel, and it's a little bit of a longer one. So it says, how would you respond to those that disregard the ways of the Old Testament to justify certain lifestyles, i.e. stoning, eating certain foods, homosexuality, etc.? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> great question. Um, I, would, I, I want to turn to, uh, to Luke 24, 44 through 48. It says, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, this is the, this is the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who, who, for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Here's the thing about that question. The Old Testament and the New Testament they correlate perfectly. You can't take part, you can't know the whole story with just part of the story. There, there's, there's, there's two parts, old and new, and they both, they both uh, complement each other. They both um, uh, respond to each other. They both have truth. They both verify its They both work together. Um, they're unified. The Old Testament tells of the Messiah, and the New Testament reveals who the Messiah is. 
John 4, 25 through 26, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said in John 6, 45, it is written in the prophets, Old Testament, and by God. They shall all be taught by God. What are prophets? They are spokesmen. They are spokesmen for the for the word of the Lord. They're declaring the word of the Lord, and the New Testament confirms the word of the Lord because it came into flesh and it verifies everything that the Old Testament said that was coming. So, therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, you know, I like what Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen. He says, "Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets." He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what is that saying to me? That's saying that the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. Amen. Does anybody else have anything to add to that? I would just add um, on just to piggyback off of what you were saying, Raquel, was um, in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And basically what this tells me is, you know, the Old Testament shows us that we're unable to keep the law to begin with um, and therefore creates the need for Jesus, creates the need for grace, creates the need for mercy and creates the need for someone to atone for the sins that we can't atone for ourselves. Absolutely. And just kind of piggyback off what you just said. Romans explicitly talks about how no one is good. No, not one. And the reason that the law exists is to prove that we cannot keep it at all. And if there was any way of keeping the law, there would be no law. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it makes us all the more thankful. Instead, It's like changing your, shifting your perspective to, oh my gosh, what can't I do to like, man, Jesus came to, as the fulfillment of the law so I could live in freedom and the freedom that he paid for it. The 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 way that that um, I was able to really understand like the difference between Old Testament and New Testament and how they they they're all related and everything is like the Old Testament like with the law um, it it's it's literally a mirror that's all it is it's a mirror it shows us our sin it shows us our sinful nature because. It, it, it puts on us a demand that we're, we're unable to keep, period. Like, we're not, we're not able to, to keep it. So it's almost the equivalent of you having a bathroom, right? We know what a bathroom is. We, what we know a bathroom is is the, is the place where, you know, we do our business. We, 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 if we're sullied, we get clean. We, we have a mirror there usually so we can see how we look and everything and make sure that we're presentable. But it's literally like the Old Testament is literally like a bathroom with usually just the toilet and just a mirror. But nothing in there which you can clean yourself with. Right. But Jesus being the fulfillment, he is the fountain, which which we he, he provides the fountain. He's the cleanse. He's the cleanser. He's the one that can cleanse us. Whereas as, as before, we only saw what it was that we looked like and we could do our best to try and adjust wow. the dirt and rearrange it and, and everything. But when Jesus came, he actually came and so not only not only allowed us to see ourselves, but he also was able to cleanse us. Yes. And provide a means that which we could be clean so that way we can then see how he intended for us to be. So that's that's the correlation between Old and New Testament. Man, straight fire. I know I'm sounding like a Pandora commercial, but if you just tuned in, 
This is Riley dividing the word. Ask the elders edition, y'all. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Run it back. Watch it over, y'all. This is good stuff here tonight. We Our hearts are getting filled and fed tonight. Amen. Um, next question is for Pastor Erica. It says, does the Bible explicitly talk about what heaven is like? Yes. <laughs> Revelations chapter 21. Um, it talks all about what, um, what New Jerusalem, what, what, the, what heaven is going to look like. And I'm not going to read all of it to you tonight because <laughs> it's a lot. But um, I would more so um, focus on what what our experience is going to be in heaven. You know, our experience in heaven, we will be in, in complete, the, the complete presence of God. Um, in the Old Testament, Moses asked for God to show him his glory. And even still, even though God did attempt to show him his glory, he could only see in part. And I think, and not I think, but in the, what the word says is we will be in complete, in the complete presence of God. Um, there will be no, uh, no crying, no mourning, no death. Um, we will be in complete joy. Um, nothing impure will enter heaven. Um, it says, uh, it says that nothing impure will enter heaven. Um, and your name must be in the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning that the only people who will enter heaven are those that are worthy to enter heaven. Um, so, so there will be no, no, uh, no people who lie is what it says. There will be no people who uh, murder, or since we've been talking about that. Um, but those that live in, in as though uh, they believe that Christ has died for their, their sins. You know what I mean? Increased servanthood of, of God. Um, so, yeah. But, yes, it does talk about what heaven will look like, and there are streets of gold. <laughs> Go ahead, Pastor. I like how you were saying, you said, yeah, read. Just go ahead and read Revelation 21. Go ahead. Right. But I like how you said, talk about what it's going to, what was yeah. it? What did you say? What it was looks like for, for, us, for us? What what we will be doing. What we will be doing. I love how um, you said that because it made me think of 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, no eye has seen, mm -hmm. no ear has heard, no mind has imagined when God has prepared for those that love him. Yeah. And I, I believe that in our time with Jesus and our relationship with him, God gives us visions and dreams of what heaven looks like. In fact, it says that um, he gives visions and he gives dreams to the old and to the young. So, you know, I believe God gives us and speaks to us and gives us revelation of what it, what it looks like for us on this side of heaven um, because we have the Holy Spirit. Also, you know, it's, I'm sorry. No, okay, so no, I was just, I just wanted to kind of add to that was, I've, you know, you hear, you hear that scripture quoted a lot. I've never really heard it correlated to eternity. You know what I'm saying? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, yeah. no has it entered into the heart of man, but it just goes with the promise that Jesus said. He said, right. I go away to prepare a place right. for right. you. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you this. Right. right. And Ecclesiastes yeah. says that eternity is in the hearts of men. Mm -hmm. So that, why wouldn't we know that? Yeah. Let me add a little bit more context to the scripture that Pastor Raquel just read about First um, Corinthians chapter two. So First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse ten, because we usually stop there. But verse ten says, "But God has revealed them 
to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So like she said, it, 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 the, the Holy Spirit will um, give us glimpses and revelation of what is to come. And that's what it is, is to, to give us hope for the future. So, yeah. Great question and amazing answers tonight, guys. So uh, this is our last question that we have for this evening, and it's directed to Pastor Donald. Um, and it's a little bit of a long one, so here, brace yourselves, here we go. It says, could you explain the way the world has perverted the meaning behind Scripture, such as James referring to himself as a slave for Christ, and the difference between that type of slavery and actual slavery during the time in America? Did you catch all that? Wow. Will spinning. Wow. All right. Um, wow. So thank you for that question. It's a very, very uh, deep question. Um, let, me, let me start off with this. Um, first off, the huge distinction between uh, slavery that we see in the Bible um, as opposed to slavery as we know it here in America um, is that there, the, what's often left off of the slavery in America is the chattel slavery, chattel slavery. It's a specific kind of slavery where in which uh, people, human beings, are kidnapped and treated as property and not people. Um, so slavery, biblically, uh, is, is dealing more so in a sense of, I'll put it to you like this, Majority of people in, in America are slaves, according scripturally, because it has to do with borrowing and lending. <laughs> Mind blown right there, huh? No, you weren't expecting that. Um, but uh, those of you guys that are out there that are homeowners, a mortgage, the Latin words for mortgage is death pledge, meaning that You've made a pledge till death, amen. So, um, but but getting back to the subject of slavery, because I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna even I know people might be might have might have leaned in a little bit to hear what it is that I'm gonna say about this. But Proverbs 22:7. How do I know that this has to do with borrowing and lending? Because Proverbs 22:7 tells us this: the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. When you, look at the, when you look at the scriptures in the Hebrew, the word abed means slavery, slave or bond servant. Um, so the slavery that they're referring to is um, sort of an indentured servitude type of situation. You had some people that were well off, more well off than others. And back in those days, like there was, there was you know, pretty much you would barter and trade for things, but you have something that you, you didn't have nothing to barter. It's like you basically, you got to borrow. You got to like basically kind of like give yourself over for somebody else to take care of you. But when you look at the scripture and you look at the law regarding slavery, which a lot of people like to refer to, which uh, the American slave masters abused and misinterpreted um, what we have to understand is that the slavery that they're talking about in the Bible is a voluntary 
temporary indentured servitude. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 21 verse 2 says, people who needed assistance or who simply could not pay their debts might turn to a voluntary form of servitude. The Bible had guidelines for this kind of voluntary subjugation. So Exodus 21, 2 says, now these are the ordinances which are to set, you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the free man without payment. Meaning that, that once he's done, that doesn't mean that you get to sell him off to somebody else. That means he gets to go completely free. Why? Because he's worked and he's paid off his debt to you. Yep. Don't hear any whips or any, any cracking of whips or picking of cotton in there. Okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 15 says this. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you sent here. You shall set him free. And when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. Yep. Mm. Sounds way different than, than American slavery, right? Yeah. You shall furnish him liberally yeah. from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Deuteronomy 24, 7 says, if a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen of the sons of Israel and he deals with him violently or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from among you. This very clearly states that the type of slavery that happened in America was even abominable according to scripture. So, what am I saying? I'm saying it's important. That's why Tuesday nights are called rightly dividing the word. When we look at, at things in scripture, we have to make sure we keep them in the proper context. We make sure that we consider context. We make sure we consider culture and we make sure we consider correlation throughout scripture. So in James, James chapter one, he's talking about being a bond servant to Christ. He's basically saying that Christ has, has, has purchased me and I am forever indebted to him because I was a slave to sin. So that's what he's saying by, by, by stating that I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a bondservant to Christ using a reference to which was an old cultural thing. Now, mind you this, that doesn't mean that there wasn't chattel slavery back in those days. The, the, the law specifically gave these guidelines as to servitude and how it was supposed to be conducted to make sure that all men being image bearers of Christ, all men being image bearers of God were afforded dignity and protection. That's why he said you can't kidnap none of these dudes, you can't sell them off, and you better not mistreat them or else you're going to be dealt with and you'll be purged. You ain't going to just be dealt with, you're going to be purged from the people. I will wipe you off the face of the earth if you mistreat your servant. And so, um, in essence, you know, I, I you know, it, it, I know it has a, it's, a, it's a very touchy subject for a lot of people, um, especially when it comes to church. But I mean, again, like I said, Tuesday nights, rightly dividing the word, doing the ask the elders. These are questions that people have, and we need to not not shy away from it as the church. 
but address it and always come back to scripture with it. So uh, uh, um, something else that I want to throw out there, one of the other reasons why I truly love Charles Spurgeon is because Charles Spurgeon was not only a great uh, biblical theological teacher who taught sound doctrine, but he also was an abolitionist. And uh, if you look it up, you can, you can Google this and look it up, but there were, uh, he, was, he was probably one of the most famous preachers because his sermons were, would circulate internationally like a best-selling book would. So all of his sermons would, would, would sell. But when he spoke out against chattel slavery in America and refused to come to some of the churches in the South to go and preach or eat dinner with prominent figures and stuff that were in the South because they were slave owners or because they supported chattel slavery, they had publications that would circulate in their local newspapers talking about bookstores need to bring all their books to the city, city, uh, city hall and burn them and set them on fire because if Charles Spurgeon even sets foot over here, we're going to find a rope to put around his throat. And these are Christians. So, said all that to say that God is completely, all the, way, all the way from the beginning, has always been against slavery as we know it, as we know it in commonplace. It was always about servitude, and that, that servitude, as you can see, was designed in a manner in order to take somebody who had nothing and help them get on their feet to elevate them to get out and be able to be independent. Same thing with us. Those situations where we couldn't get ourselves out of had to rely on the one who came and rescued us and purchased us, ransomed us with his own life in order that we might be, be free. It's the same thing. That's always been his intent, is to set the captives free and to elevate them and let them live in their freedom. Because for, for the, who the son has set free is free indeed. Amen? And that's all I have for you. Pastor Raquel, was there something you wanted to add? I saw you kind of lift your mic up a little earlier. I was, but he kept going and it was good. It was, good. it was really good. Uh, I, was, I was just, just as you were talking, I was thinking and studying. I was, I was reading about how in Roman error, if you, error, if you saw a slave walking down the street, you didn't recognize if they were a slave or free because because American slavery was different than Roman era. It wasn't the same type of slavery. So you could have people walking down the street and you wouldn't say, oh yeah, they're a slave. You wouldn't know that because the slaves in that time were actually nurses and doctors and people that were educated and their masters actually paid for their education. So it wasn't the same type of slavery that you see in the American slavery. But the word that... Um, Something that I wrote down was there were several ways a Hebrew slave could be freed, and the pro process called manumission. I'm saying it wrong. M A N U M I S S I O N. Yeah, which is similar to emancipation. So this was happening way back then. Freedom for slavery was way back then. I mean, even talking about the Jubilee year, which is in Leviticus 25:50, where it talks about um, which occurred every 40 Israelite slaves. So the slavery was different. And I like how you went in and you explained that because it was completely a different type of, of uh, heart issue. It wasn't the same thing. And, and, 
And <laughs> and unfortunately, um, the huge difference with with slavery in America is that it targeted a certain group of people. So that that's another reason why it was easier to tell who who was and who wasn't when they're walking by the way. But um, ultimately, like God's God's uh, been adamant about man being uh, his image, bearing his image. And that's what, that's what the great sin is, has been from the beginning, is that man, rather than being, uh, being content with the fact that he is an image bearer of God, wanted, to, wanted his own way and sought his own way, and it brought in all types of evil. So, praise God for the Son, yes. and we are free indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, you know, it just... Man, another good question. Amazing answers. All of you guys. Can you guys give it up for the elders that were on the panel tonight? You know, there is one constant theme that just is just true and true through and through every single scripture, no matter whether it's a it's an exhortation, whether it's a, a edification, whether it's a command, whether it's a it's a ordinance, it's the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God. You think about, especially with that last question and the answer that was given so eloquently, and it just went line upon line, broke down in detail the, the, the command, what was supposed to happen with slavery, which to me shows the goodness of God, not according to class or caste, but to even unto the least of these, the whosoever, the, the nobodies, the, the outcasts, the orphans, the people that didn't have any. And it wasn't just to keep them there and keep them at bay there, but it was, to, like you said, to elevate them into ultimately sonship, sons and daughters. And it's just like, man, what a good God that we serve, right? So tonight, that concludes our questions for Ask the Elders for this uh, version of Rightly Dividing the Word. Again, you can follow us, the Building Christian Fellowship on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook. Was anybody helped tonight with what was uh, discussed, the questions and the answers that were given? Amen. So without further ado, let's pray. Father, for the wisdom, the understanding that you've given us tonight, God, I thank you that you've enlightened our hearts, Lord God, and drawn us just that much more closer into a deeper love relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you would continue to reveal your truth to us by your spirit as we go about our way, Lord God. I thank you that you dismiss us from this place, but never ever from your presence, God. Bring us back at the time appointed, Lord God, with a song in our heart and a praise on our lips, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all pray to and said, amen, amen. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.